Pinverse Genius Episode 71, Fortnightly, Time to Get Defuncty. In this episode, Don, Bruce, and John Manis gather to share what excites them in hopes that it entertains you as well. Hey, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash obg. Everything that comes in from there goes to cover our monthly podcasting costs, which we appreciate. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me all over the internet as Walsfio. Today, I am thrilled to have on this Talentel episode with two of the great recurring folks on this show, uh, the man with whom this never would have happened, Bruce Vogue. Hey, how in the world are you? I'm doing better now that I'm sitting in one place and not, you know, trying trying not to cry because of my back. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so back sorry. pain suck. But other than that, I'm doing great. How about you? You know, I'm doing great. I just got to be on an on board games. I'm, I love to be able to talk about that stuff sometimes. Although mm. you know, you know, I love this show, but I do yep, like yep. occasionally to stretch my board game uh, limbs a little bit. Uh, so yeah, and it's great to be here. Right, and I see you wearing a board game related shirt, also a, a Batman shirt. So a hooray. lot of them are. People didn't notice that when I started working for a board game company. I bought a whole bunch of board game T shirts to mm. see how long it would take people to notice. And uh, the answer is uh, quite a while, and once they notice, they're upset your games are not obscure enough. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, really, a Monopoly shirt? Why? I'm like, well, because if I go to the 7-Eleven, somebody will know what this is, and we can start a conversation. Nice. And that other cackling voice you heard was uh, recurring, well, recurring friend, I guess I should say, but uh, (laughs) uh, John Manis. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? Well, I guess you've already covered that. Um, let me scratch that off my uh, yes, my bingo right. card. How you doing? It's already done. Uh, gaming t-shirt right. that's already been talked about. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's it's great to be back on. That was one one heck of an intro you gave you gave us. Um, I feel I feel honored. I'm I'm almost a little choked up about that. Uh, well, much. I, I feel that the two of you are the reasons that we get to keep doing this show. So, <laughs> glad to have you on together uh, to cool. carry my dead weight. <laughs> well, much like you, much like you, Donald, I, I too am just recently um, been able to stop moving, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but but for me, it's been because we've been going to convention after convention after convention, and we just got back from Origins, and I've just woke up from hibernating from that. Oh, okay. Well, we should have you on the Onboard Games podcast, uh, previously mentioned by Bruce Vogue, to mm-hmm. talk about Origins. Uh, but but that's that's not why we're here. So real quick, John, where can you be found? And then Bruce, where can you be found? So John, uh, you can find me at Swarmcast Podcast. At, that's uh, SwarmcastPodcast.com. and we will have new episodes coming out very soon. It's exciting. Excellent. And Bruce, uh, you can find me at the Party Gamecast, featuring the Party Gamecast, a podcast about party games and games you take to parties. We'll have episodes coming really soon. Nice. <laughs> that's that's magical. I, that's the other reason I have you two on is it makes me feel regular as long as people don't go to check the games in schools and libraries feed. So, hooray. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. So does anybody have old business to talk about or old fun to talk about? Something we may have mentioned before that we want to bring back up again. 
Nope. Well, okay. I'm going to leap into it then and say, <laughs> Miss Marvel has been a lot of fun. The second episode is uh, even as good or maybe better than the first episode. And I, I like the culture that they're dropping us into. I feel like, hey, they're not just glossing over surface elements, but they're sort of exposing us to things. And it is also still fun. And they're still using art in a fun way. And uh, yeah, so uh, Miss Marvel still gets uh, all the thumbs up from me. It's just such a joy. It's so. Yes. It reminds me, and I've heard a lot of people make the comparison, so I don't want you to think that I'm original at all. But when I saw it, I went, yep, that's it, is uh, Into the Spider-Verse. There was a joy in that movie, uh, and part of it was just the way all the set design and the speed of uh, animation and things like that, that this is capturing for me, where I just really love, beyond the character, beyond uh, b- being super... Uh, just the energy it has is just really, really cool. Plus, I would like to note, and this is, uh, this is not giving anything away, uh, calling a group the Illuminantes. Yes. Very much made me like like laugh, honest to goodness, cackle out loud when I when I heard it. Yep, yep, yep. And it was particularly good since it also paralleled a reference from Doctor Strange, sort mm-hmm. of, and and whatnot. So I, I like that a lot. Uh, it, it does not feel like it is made specifically for me. Um, but I think one of the things I love best about the Marvel overall is that you get the feeling that uh, that the people are having fun at least some of the time, right? Yes. They're like, I am thrilling in the ability to do this thing. It is not emotionless, dour, and 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 always always unhappy with itself, even though it can get there from time to time. But there's there's a full range of emotions in the Marvel movies as well, in, in properties. That's what I'm saying. And I think that's a lot of what is defining it and has made it so different than DC. I think it's how it was able to take characters that I think arguably were less popular than DC characters when this whole experiment started. Uh, right. You know, Batman and Superman are worldwide icons. Uh, but if I have to watch uh, Martha Wayne's pearls hit the ground one more time. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and I think it's it's part of that is Batman's just always uh, an angry, rich, sad boy. And it mm-hmm. never changes. There's any, the rare times there's any, like, spark with any of the characters. You're like, oh, that Harley Quinn stuff is great. I'm in the Batman universe and everyone's not mad about it. Right. Or the James Gunn stuff where yeah. everyone is mad about it, but they are also still reveling in it. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's that's good. Um, all right. Well, I've, I've got no more old business to take care of. Uh, if, if neither one of you do, then let's move on to what we're talking about today. Let's run on, it. on, 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 on. All right. I'm going to leap in and well, okay. Mine is also kind of old business. Now that I look at it, uh, what I would like to talk about today <laughs> is uh, star Trek strange new worlds, which is a prequel to star Trek, the original series in an amazing and delightful way. Uh, so I have been a star Trek fan since my brother said, hey, this is a great show, and because he is eight years older than me, uh, everything my brother liked, even a little bit, I liked to 10, um, all the way up. And so, uh, yeah, I watched all the original series. I even watched that horrible Star Trek cartoon, which I watched again <laughs> later in life, which was not always as horrible as I thought it was. Um, and, you know, Voyager Deep Space Nine, all of that. And I recently decided I have to get Paramount Plus to dive back into Star Trek. And we just caught up on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We're catching up on Star Trek Discovery. 
um, watching the lower decks or below decks, whatever that Star Trek animated thing is, watching Orville, all of that, fully immersed in Star Trekness. But what I'm here to talk about today is the beast that is Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which feels like they have made an effort to be more Star Trek than Star Trek. Um, Bold where, okay. where is um, the captain feels uh, like a Starfleet captain could have been sort of during the era of the original series or during the next generation series, you could sort of see him floating in either one of those realities because let's face it, the difference between Star Trek, the original series and the next generation Picard and, um, and Kirk have two completely different philosophies on how to captain. Um, there is a lot of action. They're not hurting for action. There've only been a couple of moments where I go, okay, they just had special effects budget that they really wanted to burn and look cool. Um, <laughs> The uh, the missions that they're going on are pretty darn interesting. The diversity of the crew is something where, um, especially between this one and um, Discovery, where I'm like, I understand that um, that the Federation was always supposed to be a lot of different planets, but we obviously have budget to do more aliens than we have previously had. Uh, so if you're looking like at Star Trek Discovery. There are many alien races that appear in that series that um, that you never got to see up close or clear in in the original one. So uh, the crew for uh, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds is pretty great. I, I'm wishing, actually, now that I had talked about this before watching any of the Discovery, because it's sort of all blend, blending together since I've binged them so close to each other. Um, but their their helms person. Um, we'll take this one as a character. I'm like, I did not buy for the first couple of episodes that this Helms person who was an amazing character was actually part of the star Trek universe. It's like hmm. this character was acting in a different series than everyone <laughs> else just uh, because of the way that they sort of presented themselves. And then in the last episode, I think it was where I go, okay, I now buy that this is actually a crew member on the enterprise with with the other people who were there. Um, but the dynamics between everyone, you get to see uh, some characters from the previous series, like Uhura is a character on, uh, on the show. And the Uhura character is amazing in what they have done with her and sort of brought her forward where you go. I don't understand how she got stuck in the receptionist chair on the enterprise under Kirk, but by gosh, um, you know, she's got a brain to work with and has done some stuff. Uh, that is pretty darn cool. So they're breathing life into other favorite characters. Um, and and all that's pretty neat. And we haven't gotten to a point where I go, none of this makes sense based on the previous Star Trek, except hmm. for everything is looking a lot more... Um, what's the word? I want to say um, disco. Because uh, the, the, the techs and all the flashing lights and stuff are certainly much more modern. And when they go to Red Alert, it kind of bothers me. Um, huh. But that's about it. Um, everything lights up and it's beautiful. I think the, the strangest thing to me in the entire show is the character that they have playing Spock is also the character they play, play Spock in Discovery. And he seems to have, he's a good job. He's doing a great job, but he has the weirdest sideburns. And of course that bothers me, um, but not very much, not enough to, to be angry about. But his delivery is sort of a lot more forceful, maybe a little bit more emotion than Leonard Nimoy did. 
And it's like, oh, is this because he's a younger Spock? Are we going to find that he becomes more reserved with a more forceful captain? And he's, that's how he's figured out how to deal with stuff? Or is this just a choice that they've decided to say that, you know, he is half human, half Vulcan. Let's keep playing with it. So anyway, I like it. It's fun. Uh, go watch Star Trek. Um, we are sort of in a golden age of, hey, these Star Trek shows don't suck. Let's enjoy them. I say that having not watched the latest season of Picard, which I've heard mixed complaints about. So I can't wait to dive into that. Oh, so how does this uh, compare to Enterprise then? Mm. Well, this this definitely feels... You see the uniforms. Everything feels like it is much closer to uh, the original Star Trek, right? Okay. I mean, Inter- Enterprise I liked because I've enjoyed almost everything I've sp- seen Spot Spock Bakula Scott Bakula in. <laughs> um, right, right. And um, so, yeah, the the worst thing I had to say about the original Enterprise show was that horrible opening credits sequence. Oh, I agree. Um, and uh, and I liked it better than most people did. Uh, and, and I like it because you've got competent people doing competent things, having to overcome, you know, strange stuff. And but they're not uh, archetypes to the point where they get to ignore their flaws. So uh, so it's pretty neat. I think it feels it certainly feels more like the original series than than Enterprise ever did. Okay. Um, and you and you got their beautiful, brightly primary colored uh, uniforms. And what's not to love about that, right? Hmm. Nice. You got a question, Bruce? I did only because I'm trying to remember my timeline. So then who's the captain here? Is this Pike at this point? It is. It, okay. it is Pike. So, and, and this actor's had a weird, a weird trip lately. So he was in discovery on a season as Pike briefly, because you know, with the way timelines happen and discovery is a weird time point in time. Um, he was so popular and did the job so well that they're like, let's do a series with this guy. And, huh. and then they did. And the series has come out great. I'm assuming that's the order in which it happened because of how long it took for the series to get to come out. Um, but he also appeared as Black Bolt in that horrible Inhumans thing from uh, Disney. Oh, oh interesting. And, and it's awful. And the weirdest thing that I have to say about this actor now is that they have made some odd hair choices from him that feel almost anime in this uh in this Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So, um, someone's being attacked by a cat. Yes, that was me. All right. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I, I can't say enough. I mean, they've done weird things with the tech, uh, but they haven't advanced it too far in front of stuff. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's just fun. It's exciting. It's well, well worth checking out. Um, and it's before J.J. Abrams got his hand on anything. So, hooray! I guess cool. that's the best thing to say. Is it's not part of the J.J. Abrams continuity. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. All right. Um, who's following me up? I guess, John, you're up next. Tag. Okay. Well, um, going along with the whole space theme, sort of, and sci-fi sort of theme... Uh, mm-hmm. cause, cause we, cause we like sci-fi here, right? I think that's safe mm-hmm. to assume. And, uh, and, I mean, and you I know, do, yes. and a big thing in sci-fi is, uh, is robots. And, uh, and I like, and if, then I like music. So I want to talk about a band that combines two of my, two of the things that I really like. Um, well, sometimes three, 
uh, sometimes Don't more. Don't hurt yourself reaching something. <laughs> the four things, no, the five things that, okay. Uh, so anyways, I'm going to talk about a band called Steam Power Giraffe, a musical band from out of San Diego. They started as a mime troupe uh, doing little mime things and pantomime things out in, in their parks. Uh, they really embrace the whole robot aesthetic, so they move a lot like animatronics and such when they can uh it's it's very much it's less of a music band and more of a musical project because they they cover um their stage show has a lot of very uh vaudeville impromptu comedy uh puppetry there's there's uh projections and they have a couple ballet performers who come on and and do dance routines during their stuff but their music uh very much ranges a wide variety of genres their first first couple of of albums are definitely lean more into a folky um what's the word i'm looking for very more more towards the vaudeville kind of vibe mm-hmm. but 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 now they're they're definitely more in they do a lot of stuff in in the various rock genres so you've if you listen to their stuff you can hear their styles and they're, they're different, the different styles that appeals to each of the members come through. And yep. they, and, and if you watch their performances over time, you can see how they've improved not only their costuming and makeup, but their actual overall performance as well. And it's, it's funny because I was looking up stuff on the, the, the rock of fire explosion and, and certain Disney animatronics. And that's what led me to discover these guys for myself and it's been a fascinating, just uh, just amazing and fun ride watching. Like I said, it's it's very much a it's not just a musical thing. It's 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 it covers everything. So watching their videos has been great. I've gotten to watch a few of their their pandemic uh, concerts that you know everybody's been able to to get a hold of and watch as they performed live. And their music is just, is really, there's, there's a lot going on with their music. Just if you're just listening to it by itself. Right now, I've, I've listened to some of their music or seen some of their videos mm-hmm. and the, the whole, Hey, they do mime stuff. And then they did music makes a lot of sense to me. I, I hadn't, hadn't figured that out myself, but this <laughs> tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I made sure the, to only push the more, um, piratey themed stuff towards towards your direction donald because i because i know how you are mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, now it does feel like um a lot of their stuff is it's it's sort of staged within a style i guess is sort of what you were saying is that is that they are they're trying to to replicate a given style for any particular piece of art is, is that what's happening um yeah it really depends on which which dare i say era of steam power giraffe you're looking at which concerts uh for the most part they try to keep that whole like if you're going to country bear jamboree or actually i don't know uh going to to watch the rock of fire explosions probably the better or chuck e cheese and his mr munch's mystery band or whatever they're called so mm-hmm. they they, they kind of have that the way they kind of move and jerk and every now and then they will make the little the little hydraulic hissing noises when they they pivot themselves they they try to keep that that's mostly a thing that you see a lot of in their earlier stuff they they still do that but it's it seems like now it's more about the the instrumentation the the music and some of the more 
uh, visual effects they have going on at their shows. And nice. uh, I just I just say that's mostly because of uh, three very important factors. Uh, everyone's getting older. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, they are. They yes, have they are. they have they have money and the capability to do the things, and they've just learned a lot. But learning. even at some learning, yeah. But even at some, con- well, we just went to a gaming convention recently where we saw a couple people who are dressed up as as members of Steam Power Draft, and that was. That was pretty cool because I was hmm. not truly expecting that when we saw that. And you're sure it wasn't and just them walking around. I'm pretty sure it wasn't them. <laughs> well, they're, they're out of San Diego and this was in North Carolina. That would have been a heck of a trek just to go to this little gaming convention that I was at. Uh, but for the most part, yes, they are steam steam powered robots. So they have a steampunk aesthetic. And when I was looking it up, it says their musical, one of their musical genres that's listed is steampunk. And I was like, is that really a, a genre or is that just a, a trapping? Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, what else falls under steampunk? Do, do, do any one of you have? Cause I've got actually one of the folks at work, actually the person who's replaced my assistant, uh, his band for high school is doing steampunk as a theme. And so uh-huh. if I can point steampunk resources at them, then, um, then that might be good. Well, see this the, steampunk as a air quotes, musical genre is, uh, I don't know how that well that tracks because there's bands like Abney park, which if you're mm-hmm. into more heavier bands, then you like Abney park, but then there's like the cog is dead, which is a lot closer to what you're going to get at for some of the steam power draft stuff, which has more of a folky rock sort of flavor to it. Uh, it just, it just varies, but there you go. There's two good uh, sources for them right there. The cog is dead in Abney park. Now, when you say heavier music, what does that mean? Um, Abney park sometimes dips into more like a new metal kind of vibe at times. Mm. It's, it's hard to, yeah, it's, so, uh, so what you mean is more squeedlies and meadlies. Yes, there you go. Like oh, significantly but then there's... more squeakly than me. <laughs> there you go. Well, I see Donald. Give me a look. Donald, it's like squeakly, 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 milly, 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 squeakly, squeakly, milly, 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 that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Squeakly and it's, yeah. Right, and it's a bit more screamo at times, too. I know we're just saying a bunch of words that are that are just hitting hitting Donald like a, we're throwing stuff at a wall. But I, I, I feel like the squeakly and <laughs> are pretty clear. I I'm came not, here for not the a part of yeah. this culture. Whatever it is, it is not mine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, like, like literally, that, that, that's just me doing the onomatopoeia for the gu- type of guitar. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, okay. it's not more sophisticated. Do not overthink it. Right. <laughs> the re- it's, it's, Strong Bad made the reference to that, but it, right, right. It's so appropriate is Let's that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that because he has a thing about I came for the chugga chuggas, but I stayed for the wugga wuggas. And it's very much, he also talks about the Meadly Meadleys, which, you know, once yep. you think about it, if you think yep. especially that that Eddie Van Halen staccato machine, or the Eddie Van Halen um, arpeggio, <laughs> is very much the Meadly 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 like that kind of thing. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, I mean, I, you know, all right, I've seen Van Halen <laughs> in concert, so hooray. So you know what I'm talking about, the stuff where he felt the need to like turn his back to people in the 80s so you couldn't see how he did it. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say I saw Van Hagar in concert. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I misspoke. I apologize. Um, All right. Well, that's all neat. Um, So 
Where would you point people to see the best of the steam-powered giraffes? Uh, well, YouTube I would go page? onto either either onto their YouTube page or if you go to steampowergiraffe.com. That's mm-hmm. a that where they are a big multimedia thing. They 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 run all of their stuff. So if you go to their website, they'll have links po- pointing to every single place you can find their stuff. Yeah, there is a lot going on here. They are, they are very uh, they are very business and tech savvy when it comes to regard to their to their stuff. Yeah. So it has been a few years since I've looked into Steam Power Draft, and at that point, mm-hmm. it did feel that it was all about the business. But I'm looking at mm-hmm. some of the pictures on their website, and it looks like maybe they're having a little more fun now. Um, yes, I totally agree. the The pandemic really kind of threw a monkey wrench at them. They had to dig more into just into the business side of it, but they've definitely gotten back on track to, to making the music and making the fun. Just like on this show where we're making the fun. We're not really making the music. This this has that feeling of, and I love the references as much as I can from the original Muppet movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is the scene where uh, Kermit and uh, Fozzie make their way to the church that the electric mayhem is in mm-hmm. <laughs> and they talk okay. about how they're going to turn it into a coffee house. And I've, I, I use this line a lot for this thing. When you do a creative endeavor and you make it a business is there's a point where Janice says, well, we're going to make it a coffee house. And all of a sudden you hear Dr. Teeth go, it's going to be laid back and mellow and profitable. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what I've always held on to is anytime like an art creative needs to sell out because there's a necessity to sell out because you, you want to do this professionally and there's always going to be that business angle. But I always, anytime like the thing you're talking about, Donald happens, I just hear Dr. Teeth going, it's going to be laid back, mellow and profit. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I, you know, the whole concept of selling out, I find is very odd because I think that when the original, the original meaning of sellout was, Hey, they changed their tunes and they changed whatever it was they were doing so that they could become more successful. Right. They changed Mm -hmm. so they could have a broader appeal. And now anytime makes a dime, somebody makes a dime off of something that, uh, you know, through a traditional business structure, they're like, Oh, you are such a sell. I'm they're doing exactly what they want to do. That's not the same as selling out. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't yeah. think if you look at Andy Warhol, uh, as much as he made selling out an art form, <laughs> he made selling out an art form. <laughs> like it was, he figured it out, and he got to be Andy Warhol for his career. There's nothing wrong with that, if that's what you want. If they, if you have an emotional investment in some other way, and you bend completely to become a new person, I understand where the issues are, but I agree with you. If you have an artistic skill, and you want to use it such as that you would like that to be your profession, and you make it your profession, bless you, and thank you for making the world a little better for some of us. Absolutely. And if you can do it all through Patreon, then uh, mm-hmm. then good on you. If, you. if you can do it with corporate support, then, well, uh, good on you. Um I was almost not going to say that, but no, really good on you. Um, but, but do you, I guess is what I'm saying. Go do yourself. Oh, that's probably the wrong thing to say. Um, (laughs) that's the new t-shirt. That's the new t-shirt we're making. Do yourself. Go do yourself. Yeah. Go do yourself. Uh, So speaking of doing yourself, Bruce, Yes. What have you got to talk about today? <laughs> so, fantastic transition. We were talking about one of my favorite bands of all time, the Rockfire Explosion. 
which leads us to animatronics, mm-hmm. which leads us to animatronics performing, which leads us. <laughs> okay, so I'm talking about <laughs> <a thing called laughs> land. Uh, what defunct land is? It's it's run by a gentleman by the name of Kevin Perger, and essentially he is a documentarian filmmaker who makes documentaries. So it's called Defunct Land because originally everything was about Disneyland. And it was about different things like the way different productions were made at Disney and the reason things are the way they are. One of the, whether you love Disney or hate Disney, especially the parks and experiences, the thing you I feel like you have to love, and it's the same thing I think you have to love about Cirque du Soleil, is Ooh. when you see it, you know every decision was made. Everything they wanted to do, they got uh, every uh, weird spin and turn was approved and they put it together and they made the art they wanted to make. If they wanted to get the Beatles for the soundtrack, gosh darn it, and I say that for both Cirque du Soleil and Disney, they get <laughs> the Beatles if they want it. They get Michael Jackson. They get the song they want. They carve the every single place in Disney. If you see an imperfection, that was intentionally made so that you knew there was an imperfection there. So like whether you like it or not, you have to acknowledge the sheer intentionality of what they're doing. Um, I've seen some Cirque du Soleil I liked and some I didn't, but at no point did I ever feel like anyone said, Pierre, we can't do this. It would cost us another $100,000 for you to do that. We're not doing it. No, if Pierre wanted to do it, we were going to do it, whether anyone liked it or not. And I think the same thing goes for Disney. If they want to uh, license an unrelated thing to make the Tower of Terror about the Twilight Zone, they're just going to do it because that's what they can think of. And now they own everything so they can make whatever they want. Uh, Defunct Land is a series of documentaries about a lot of this intentionality and this history of sort of Disney. And it's stretched even further now into the history of all kinds of things dealing with entertainment and by and large with uh, amusement parks. So to give you an instant, uh, to give you an idea, one of the latest documentaries is the bizarre Garfield Dark Ride. Oh, gosh. There there was a dark ride. And it's just so you know what that is. A dark ride is any of those rides where you're sitting in a car and essentially you're in the dark. Uh, So there are going to be a lot of your horror rides. Small, small world is a dark ride. But it's any one of those ones where, and specifically this uh, documentary talks about a lot, is if you were ever in a car and you thought, eh, we should probably make out now, you were probably on a dark ride. Well, Pirates um, of the Caribbean was one, right? Pirates of the Caribbean yep. is a dark ride. Absolutely. Uh, and it's used because you're in a car in the dark. Uh, mm. And they talk about in the bizarre uh, Garfield dark ride that the dark ride that was Garfield was one of the earliest ones. And specifically, what they learned they were making money on was young kids would get in and make out. And then a lot of what they would have to do is essentially like shoot kids in the face with a water bottle so that they'd stop trying to jump out of the car and do even more elsewhere. Oh, uh, at one point, the amusement park that had one of the oldest dark rides caught the license for Garfield. And the documentary is, I'm trying to see, how, is a, th- a half an hour documentary that goes into like Jim Davis and why he would license all of this. And then the company that made it and sort of the shortcuts they had to take and what was weird about that. And sort of the creative process of how you start with Garfield as a dark ride, which is already weird because dark rides are normally like 80% of the time kind of horror based. Uh, If you're going to see them like we've talked about ones that aren't really, but a lot of them are some kind of a jump scare thing. 
uh, and that they took a Garfield story that didn't exist and then like tried to make a horror thing out of it, but they also couldn't get Jim Davis to make any original art for it. So they had to figure <laughs> out how to get art from the old books and just like blow it up, but then make it horrific ish. Uh, so it talks about all of that. Um, they also did another one that's really fascinating about Disney fast pass, which is that, that like bracelet thing. It's a, an almost a two hour documentary that covers all the different versions of it, why it works, why it doesn't. Um, I'll give away a little bit of, he went so far as to hire a company to run uh, AI models for him of why FastPass would and wouldn't work by running mathematical models of what people would do and how they would do it and how it would work. Uh, just really fascinating stuff, looking at all these little tiny slivers of largely Disney history, but really the history of a lot of amusement parks. So it's been super cool to see things like um, they did one on the Handwich, Disney's failed sandwich of the future. <coughs> uh, Disney at some point had a sandwich that was essentially an ice cream cone stuffed with meat. And they talk about uh, like why Disney people are obsessed with it, what things they know in sort of the like the hardcore Disney pop culture about the handwich and then cover how it happened and why it happened and what failed and what worked and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just there. The documentaries are super fascinating. He's only gotten better and better over time. And he continues to pick up more and more kind of lucrative sponsorships of, and the one that always blew my mind was on a couple of the big ones he did was meow wolf is a sponsor of his stuff. And we've talked about meow wolf with the Omega Mart in the past they are an art collective and they are putting money up to make sure that he can do the things he wants to do uh, so just really fascinating if any part of you remotely cares about kind of the uh the pop culture of amusement parks and uh you know certain pop culture tv shows and that kind of like lost uh art that's where he is. It was originally Defunct Land because it was about defunct rides at amusement parks. And then it's just kind of evolved into an awful lot of stuff. Uh, he also did one that was another hour and a half uh, thing he did about Hylix. Halix, that was a futuristic rock band that played at Disney. Mm. And it goes through like picking actual artists and figuring out their background and trying to convince Disney that like having a quasi like heavy metal band was the way to go. And then the impression it left on people in the place it is in pop culture, but well worth checking hmm. out these wild uh, documentaries about kind of these lost parts of our amusement history. That's wild. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's super cool as I'm looking through, cause I have in front of me uh, the YouTube page, which is defunct land exactly as you'd expect does, it to be spelled. Does he cover any like of the regional amusement parts? Like yes. uh, in Oklahoma, oh, we have Frontier yes. City yes. and that kind of stuff. Yes, there's no, as long as there is a story to be tell, told, he will tell it. Um, one of them here is the fair that changed America. Uh, so it's about one of the world's fairs that really began uh, what we look at as the amusement park industry. Uh, there is, yeah, one about like just the evolution of the Ferris wheel. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff on here. Uh, there's one about the, the history of the Nickelodeon Hotel which there was a Nickelodeon hotel where they tried to make it a thing. It's a 20 minute documentary about that. So he doesn't shy away from something that's regional or smaller or not Disney. 
in any way, shape, or form. There's another one here about the failure of Chuck E. Cheese, yep. uh, where he goes into a lot of Nolan Bushnell starting Chuck E. Cheese and it being bought by Showtime Pizza Place and the the difficulties of having that kind of a business and where the business went wrong. And uh, it's really a lot of like for real entertaining stuff if you don't have a weapons great hatred of that sort of entertainment. I would say, and I often <laughs> like to preface that, if, if what I've said, all of it just sounds miserable, uh, he does a really good job at it, but I don't know that it changes, you know, kind of what you're doing. Um, he did one documentary about the history of Action Park, which uh. has been made into another bigger budget documentary, but as it used to be called Traction Park, uh, where kids would just uh, get hurt real bad. He did a 17 minute documentary four years ago about it. There has been a newer like hour and a half documentary made by a real production company since then. Mm -hmm. But I think probably part of their, uh, their concept going in was look at this 17 minute documentary. This guy made, I think we can really make a thing out of this. Okay. I subscribed. <laughs> yeah. Really cool stuff. Yeah. The failure of Euro Disneyland. There's one that's the scariest attraction in Disney history where they go through like why modern Disney wouldn't accept what they had done. It's one of the ones that's in Japan and they're like, none of the U S Disney parks would have done this, mm -hmm. uh, but they did it in Japan. So let's talk to you about it and kind of how it works. Um, the older stuff is, is fun and he does a really good job and you start to see him getting his chops and understanding uh, documentary filmmaking better. And then once he gets into sort of the second season, he's just off to the races and he starts to get a lot of Patreon support. And once again, a lot of like what I'll call corporate donors, but they're not really, but people with a lot of money to come in and say like, we want to see you make this art. And he's done some really cool stuff. He's got a whole series on Jim Henson. Yeah, there's there's yeah. also a bunch of stuff that's not specifically defunct land, where it's like defunct TV, where he'll talk about like, um, uh, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Or right. the history of Legends of the Hidden Temple. Uh, he does a whole bunch of them. He's a big fan of Henson, so a lot of Henson stuff comes up through it. Uh, yeah, just super cool. If this sort of nostalgia drug is what you like, he does a really good professional job at presenting it. And that is, uh, since this, since this uh, we have found ourselves looking at a bunch of other uh, people in this space that are content creators making stuff about this. And they do great jobs too. But the level of professional production that Defunct Land is at, you do feel like you're watching, you know, like a cable add-on. I think I described it as sort of like an ESPN Plus kind of thing. Not necessarily like a 30 for 30, but very close. The kind of thing that's like a 30 for 30 add-on that you would get over there. It doesn't feel out of range uh, with that kind of stuff. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. So that is Defunct Land. Check it out. Kevin Perger does a great job. Uh, yeah, see those things. I will say, though, the number of YouTube channels that this show has had me subscribe to that I have not <laughs> been able to work my back through the back catalog is, is not insignificant. There's like... Every other episode, I'm like, oh, I need to add this to my YouTube subscription list. I will tell you the good news on this specifically, once you've caught up in the back catalog, if you choose to, is he makes new stuff maybe once every month or two months. He makes one thing because he's, mm -hmm. he's like one person making it at such a high level that it's it's really, really good. But it also takes a while. So it's not going to once you're caught up, it's not going to uh, make you continue to, to look in like week after week. Nice. Excellent. Well, all right. That's some stuff that we have talked about. I, I think that uh, does anyone else have anything else to say before we wrap this up? I'm good. Yep, I'm good. All right. Bruce, John, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly. 
all of our listeners. Thank you for sticking around until the end. Of course, you got to stay until Bruce talks because, you know, he's always got <laughs> something strange for us. If you want to find out more about the show and the people who create it and all the other stuff we make, head on over to InverseGenius.com or join us at our Inverse Genius Facebook group, which is where most of our conversation tends to happen these days. Um, you know, or we do have a Discord thing that we never talk about, so you can join us there too. Uh, and that's about it. Hey, um, goodbye, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Bye. 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 Away we go to explore the great unknown. Let's go without a care. Adventure awaits us there. So blast off. Let's make what's theirs our own. The universe is ours to Any robot will do a new frontier It's drawing near We'll smash and shoot, we'll take their loot When they see us coming, they'll shake in their boots We'll stare them down and when they flinch We'll send them packing across every inch of the Down from that noose that's swinging in Reattach your arms so we can get guns Let's start this heist and overload Let's shut ourselves up till we explode Do not give up And wear our best smiles even during combat So the enemy sees a smile and is put off They think we're rough and tumble but we're compassionate And they'll want to bring their cameras out for photos together Because they're smiling now We're all happy and that's how it should go, generally speaking. Oh yeah! Away we go to explore the great unknown. Let's go without a care. Adventure away. Us there. So blast off, let's make what's theirs our own. The universe is ours to roam, and together we're not alone across the That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.